0: Welcome to Breakthrough, a podcast series brought to you from Second Home, where we meet the entrepreneurs and innovators behind now-famous companies like WeTransfer, Deliveroo, Mumsnet and Bull to reveal the stories behind their industry-transforming businesses.
1: I'm going to start by taking us back to 2009. Uh, Kim.com. Um, was getting fatter and fatter uh, with his file sharing, mostly illegal file sharing system. Uh, but Damien was getting thinner and thinner because he was extremely stressed. Uh, he this was before we transfer. He was an ad guy uh, running around the world, um, eating lost lots of pilmeni. Uh, in Moscow hotels, um, and was wondering what to do with his life. And then, Naldon... I'm going
0: to say something in a second, by
1: the way. popped his head round the corner, um, and that was the beginning of the story. Right? Could you kind of give a little bit of a flavour of what happened What happened then, in your skinny, so thanks for coming. your skinny jeans?
0: I love the fact that I'm between two ferns. <laughs> If anyone can Photoshop, I would love it if you could create Zach Galifianakis out of him (laughs) so I could (laughs) pretend I'm between two phones. Um, Do you know Kim.com? Mega upload. If you haven't seen his films, it's far more entertaining than anything we've ever had on wetransfer.com. Kim lives in another world. Uh, Mentally, he's somewhere else. He's completely infatuated with himself. Um, He flies people into his house in New Zealand to throw parties that he has to pay everyone to to attend. And then um, says that he's going to transform the whole industry. And this is 2009, and Mega Upload was really like the biggest file-sharing business out there, but it was completely based around piracy. Mega Upload, Rapid Share, these the companies were built around the idea that they were going to offer up as much pirated content as they possibly could. And we were in the creative industry, and there was nothing that we wanted less than... Um, pirated content. You know, our living, I mean, probably a lot of you here today make your living from uh, having people pay for your content. And that's what we wanted to do, too. So we transfer really came out of this notion that we were going to create something very, very simple. It just needed to look very clean, aesthetically pleasing. And ideally, uh, you would be able to send something super simply and get back to making the work that you get paid to do. And it went, it was completely counter to everything that Kim stood for. And yeah, he was a bit bigger than me i put on a few pounds since then. <laughs>
1: um, so, 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 uh, so, so Nelden had a company called OY Transfer,
0: right? No, Bus, and there was, there was a few people in WeTransfer Transfer, and Bus Behrens, he had a company called OY Transfer. OY Transfer. Yeah. Or a design studio called OY. He started OY Transfer. Nelden had a blog, so Nelden was quite a uh, well-known blogger in the Netherlands, you might have heard of him, um, and he first came up with this concept of this, idea the banner advertising was just generally pretty horrendous, and if you were going to do something on the, on the internet with advertising, why not try to do something beautiful? So he built this platform, Nalden.net, and in the background just had one image, and it wasn't a click, it was a download. So you could simply take that image and save it to your desktop as a wallpaper, and we thought it was pretty novel. No one was really doing anything like that with advertising at the, at the time, it was still today not.
1: Um... And you thought you could make a business out of this, right? <clears throat> but at the time, you didn't have any money. I mean, this is a, this is a room full of people involved uh, often in business and the startup worlds. A lot of them will know the feeling of uh, having a really great idea, something you think can really fly. But you know, VC money is few and far between. And it was much fewer and farther between back in 2009 in the Netherlands. Um, so what did you do? How did you make it work?
0: So back, I think back in 2009, 2010, it was nearly impossible to raise money in the Netherlands. I think um, you know London is a completely different landscape. So here, there is a lot more cash. But in Holland, we were we were offered you know 20% of the company for 200,000 euros, something like that. And uh, we'd all come from the design world, so we knew that we could go and do a project for someone like Christie's or Nike or someone, and, and earn that money in two or three months without giving any, away any equity. So we were never going to take that sort of deal. Um, but we we knew that we basically had to have multiple jobs. So we had a design studio, we started the gallery, we had we were building out other products all the time, and we transfer was just sort of growing, you know as a, as a side hustle really, it wasn't it wasn't really our main focus and it, it never became our main focus until really only 2015 when um, we said, you know what, pretty much everything else we've made was a failure. And um, we were going to do something that actually people seemed to like and we transferred. Probably got to about thirty million users by then. We're slow learners. That's what it
1: is. <laughs> Um So was it more fun doing something that you felt was meaningful as a side hustle and then your regular job? Uh, was that more fun than just doing your advertising thing that was making you lose loads of weight? I mean, what was the? W- was it? Was this it, is you your know? side
0: hustle, right? This is your side hustle. You have a this day is- job. <laughs> <laughs> is this fun? <laughs> yeah. You know, I say, yeah. Okay. Well, that was a bad question, but it's hard work, right? I mean, you're doing you're doing multiple things. You're trying to you know keep things on track. You've you're bootstrapping a your business. So no, it was it was really pretty pretty tough. And I said this a couple of times this week. You know, we were paying ourselves two and a half thousand euros. So you know, I had two kids. Two and a half thousand euros a month doesn't go very far when you're you know trying to pay the rent and 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 do everything else. So we were very much reliant on all these other things that we had and other income coming in from other places. So, you know, if someone offered me an MC job or a speaking job, <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have willingly taken it alongside everything else. Free drink. Free drink yeah. For sure, yeah. throwing a book, I'm in. <laughs> um, so at the time, uh, you had this, this,
1: this vision and this philosophy of kind of a mixture of a kind of cleanness of design uh, with a respect for your User that they didn't want to mess around with registration and banner ads, and you know, um, did you at the time think, oh god, we could be making a hundred thousand dollars a day like Kim.com uh, if we were to sacrifice our values and put banner ads everywhere, um, or were you thinking actually? this is the only way we're going to make a successful business is by taking a different tack to the rest of the people. Like, did you feel you were sacrificing at the time by holding true to your values or did you always feel it was a good business decision?
0: I mean, human nature will always look to take a shortcut, right? So we will always look to take a, an alternative route. And I think that's creativity too. So if, you know, if the, the fastest way from A to B is not necessarily the, the path that everyone else has trodden, then often we'll, we'll look for some shortcut to try and find it. So, you know, when you have no money and you're basically trying to work out what you're going to do, we have many conversations about, you know, what should we do? The, the, the wallpaper on we transfer basically could take 16 banner ads. So we, we have many conversations Go oh, well, if we just bung 16 banner ads in there and we would fill it up with any, every other piece of programmatic shit that everybody else had, we, <laughs> we would have been like Kim.com. It was um, something else, that I think, that transformed the way we were looking at it. We had a gallery in Amsterdam, and um, actually it was something else. There was a lady that we met when we were sponsoring Centre of St. Martin. So we sponsored a course called um, Material Futures. It didn't cost us very much money, but it gave us access to an incredible pool of design talent. And there was a lady that ran it called Nelly Ben-Hoon, and um, through a series of different relationships and stuff that we, we would always try to build up, we got introduced to an artist, a photographer called Giles Dooley. Um, if you don't know Giles, you should watch his TED Talk. It's tragic, amazing. He's one of the most optimistic people I've ever met in my life. But this is a story of a photographer who um, was a fashion photographer. He, um, The story goes, so he says, I don't think this is true, but so he says it so eloquently... He lost his shit with being a fashion photographer, threw his camera down on a hotel bed one day and it bounced out the window and smashed. And at this moment he thought to himself, you know, this is ridiculous, it's vacuous, I'm gonna do something worthwhile, and went on to shoot um, and document a lot of mental health issues, kids with mental health issues, and then went on to Afghanistan, stood in a landmine, lost two legs and an arm. Lost everything. I mean, he was a freelance photographer And, um, you know, he lost his partner, he lost his house, he had no income and and obviously lost two legs and an arm. He bounced back and decided that what he was going to do was not, you know, give up and not do anything. He was going to continue being a a photographer and go back and document what he now calls the legacy of war and travel all over the world documenting the crisis that comes from, you know, the refugee crisis that we have. He went to Syria and Lebanon and continues to do this, just documenting this uh, the, the atrocities that still occur today. Um, and Giles came through us through Nelly and said, could, could we just run an ad on WeTransfer? So we put up an ad to um, fund a Kickstarter project for Giles um, that within two days we fulfilled the project and he paid for the entire Legacy of War project off the back of what we did on WeTransfer. And we thought, fuck, this is pretty good. We could do something pretty amazing with this. We would never have done this if we had banners, the way the programmatic is working was working, would never have worked. What, what we could do with this platform was pretty phenomenal. We should continue to do something. And that's been a big drive for us in just, you know, I think, maintaining this sort of window and vehicle that we have that was that proved to be pretty, pretty amazing, powerful.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I ask in part because a lot of the book is about um, <clears throat> how kind of evil... Uh, or big data is and how nasty the companies that collect it are. Um, But obviously in a way you not doing that was a good business decision which maybe isn't open to maybe some other entrepreneurs in the room that just actually for whatever reason just have to have a thousand banner ads or have to hoover up people's data to make them buy more, you know, whatever. Um, is that a kind of fair, fair point? Is that, a fair, is that a fair criticism that it's easy for you to say that big data is bad, but actually being anti-big data was just like brilliant branding for you guys?
0: I'm not, I'm not anti-big data. So I, I think, you know, big data is super important. I mean, there's a whole load of issues that are solved through big data and, um, you know, data will always re- remain a big factor of everybody's life. In business, we need to have analysis and there needs to be intelligence behind the stuff that we're doing. What You know, what concerns me is the data that's being used predominantly in advertising. So when it's really about just capturing your attention and creating FOMO, I think that's particularly concerning and it's very concerning when... Um, you know, as as a, if I have my marketing hat on, I'm I'm looking at where I'm going to spend money to try to, um, you know, get new users, and I'm basically forced down this rabbit hole of having to choose between Google and Facebook. It's not, you know, it's not where do you want to go. It's like, okay, how much do we put on Google and how much do we put on Facebook, and it's 87 cents on the dollar. It's a, it's a complete monopoly, and that's something that I think that really needs to be broken up. We we really need to reconsider how we're spending money and how we spend our time. And I would urge people to, you know, really consider how much they give to Facebook and how much they give to Google and how much they give to Amazon and to question what they get in return. And I think it's a very unfair transaction at the moment.
1: Um, because in a way, you have, to, you have to, to even keep your market position, right? I mean, that's, that's part of it. If, you, if, if your company is called, you know, Compare the Market or Avocado.com, you know, you, you can't have someone in... Let me rephrase. There's Sifted. There's a company, there's a cake shop in Iowa called Sifted, uh, which uh, buys Google ads um, and is often ahead of us in the in the rankings. And that's annoying. Uh, and it makes us want to defend our market brand uh, by giving loads of money to Google. It's called... Sort of daylight robbery, but you're kind of forced to do in a way, right? Because that's that's the world we live in.
0: I think no, no, no. I mean, really not. It's you know, you're you're a platform that's going to be about quality journalism. So whether or not you've got great SEO or not is really irrelevant at the end of the day. It's a I think it's a race to the bottom. So I mean, I think the differentiator for you guys is going to be on quality journalism. Break a great fucking story. You know, bring Facebook to the ground. And everyone's going to know who you are. Whatever you put on Google AdWords or whatever, it's, it's going to you know, be absolutely irrelevant. Great journalism, great journalists, uh, great integrity, I think is what people are looking for today. And I think if, you know, a lot of people would say to me, oh, it's sort of easy because in 2009 the landscape was very different. But I think um, the landscape is very different. You can't go and just get a Facebook user group. You have to go and buy it. Um, you know, SEO doesn't work the same as it used to. Um, but if you really want to differentiate, you're going to differentiate on quality, you're going to differentiate on content, and you're going to differentiate by, by zigging when everyone else is zagging. And I, I, I think it's quite sad that we feel like we will have to follow the same beaten path and, 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 and basically try and trade pennies to make sure that we're at the top of the rankings.
1: Yeah. Um, so what do you think would have happened going back to 2009 Say you had a bin in London, uh, and it's today. You had, even back then, I mean, you're being relatively modest about it, but uh, you found quite a powerful audience from the beginning, which has allowed you to bootstrap and allowed you to make money. Um, But if you were in London today, you might have taken 25 million quid from Sequoia um, if they'd have offered it to you. Um, you. How do you think that would have change the business. A, do you think you would have taken it? Um and B, how would I have changed the business and what what you're doing today?
0: So I mean it, re- it really depends on where you, where we were in the stage of the company. So the um you know we have taken investment Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, I'm I mean back at the very, 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 very
1: beginning. Um um when you know now it's it's relative well, i mean it's not easy at all but but you know if you have the numbers you can you know you can raise you can raise cash in the way that you couldn't in, in 2009 oh, and not- you guys were notable for, for spending a long time bootstrapped uh, i'm trying to get at to what extent yeah. your success was based on the leanness and kind of purity of your bootstrap days compared to just being handed like loads of cash
0: yeah, loads of cash always sounds quite good in the beginning, right? But it definitely has a cost and, uh, and you pay a price tag, right? And no doubt whatsoever that we transfer wouldn't be what it is today if we'd taken that money earlier on. We would have, we would have had to do performance marketing super early. We would have had to change everything pretty much about our business because we'd have probably seen that the advertising model didn't work. So we'd have become a really hardcore SaaS business. Um, and uh, I think unequivocal we wouldn't be what we are today. Um, but you'd be... You'd be,
1: you'd be Dropbox, Box, Hightail, and you guys, right? And you'd be sweating it out, trying to fight these guys. Is that, do
0: you think? Well, that's still the same, right? So we're, <coughs> we're still sweating it out against Dropbox and Box and everybody else. We're just trying to do it from a different, slightly different point of view. I mean, Dropbox basically rips off everything that we do. We just, we just give it to them, and they'll, they'll copy it and do something different. <coughs> Luckily, in Europe, we're really well-liked. In America, no one really knows that. us. So. That's the challenge for us, is that we were... We were really good here. We were really good in Europe. Um, we were late to America. Um, you know, maybe if we'd taken that Sequoia money, maybe that would have meant that we would have been earlier in America, and then maybe we wouldn't be still sort of loggerheads and trying to fight it out with Dropbox. But um, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that we um, we sort of serendipitously fell into this place that we are. That we continue doing these full screen ads. That we um, we set up a business that gave away 30% of all the inventory that we have. It's billions of impressions every year. We give away to support arts and causes, and it's um, it's great for employee retention. It's it's great for the um, great for morale. It's great for society. I think it's a very um, fortuitous place. And we still took money, but we took money after we became profitable, and that's the moment where suddenly everything changes, and then people come along, and go, "Oh, I actually quite like you. You can you can sort of make money and, and be a business and." Well, in my portfolio, you actually look quite good because the rest of them are all schmucks.
1: Um, so, if you're if you're starting a business, uh, if you're starting a business today um, and wanting to go through the route of not going down this sort of this this big data path, um, who do you who do you respect today? that is that is doing this what kind of like paths are you interested in i mean you mentioned in your book duck duck go patagonia ben and jerry's you know people who have values and build a brand by values rather than just like giving money to google and clicking um yeah who do you who do you respect
0: So you mentioned quite a few of them I think are pretty good. I mean, there are a few good guys, and definitely I think there's... um, I mean, everything we've said is a a little bit and I'm quite optimistic in general. I might not look it, but I'm generally quite optimistic about the Internet. And I think that those those companies are pretty good, and I think um, if you'd have asked me this question in 2015, it was pretty bleak. I think in 2015 we had very little perception of what was happening in terms of data that was being acquired. um, And Donald Trump, although I would never really say this to his face, but Donald Trump helped us to some de- in some degree with Cambridge Analytica that I think woke up a lot of people. I mean, if any of you have seen The Great Hackett's, uh, you know, again, testament to how, how much people are interested in this conversation and definitely weren't, you know, three or four years ago. Um, Boris is helping us out a little bit too, um, what big tech is doing and how much data is being collected and how these sort of ridiculous valuations are creating... Um, what everybody gets super excited around, unicorns, but I don't know what a unicorn is. If it's not a company that actually makes money, then I'm not really sure what the purpose is of unicorn, unless you're only interested in short-term gain. And that's one of the biggest issues that we've got to try and you know, address, is what, you know, how can we get a longer-term horizon? And it's going to be a challenge for people in marketing or advertising because um, you know, the average marketing director is in the job for two years, so how are you going to make a difference? How are you going to really differentiate when you're, you know, you're, you're not looking further than the end of your nose? Yeah. I probably didn't answer your question then. I
1: can't remember. No, 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 no. That's the answer to the question. Um, what do you like? Um, what do you like about Patagonia? I mean, I think it's a really interesting company. But
0: well, was that was your yeah. question, yeah?
1: No, no, it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't my question. But that's my, <laughs> that's my, that's my, my sub question. That's you know.
0: Oh, I think every, I mean, I don't know how much people know about Patagonia here, but we, we were in Los Angeles for three years and the companies like REI and Patagonia that are sort of legendary for the their attitude that seems to be um, just very supportive of society. You know, they, it's, it's really good business. I mean, what Patagonia do on Black Friday and, you know, telling everybody to get outdoors and not go and buy anything is fantastically smart business um but everybody loves the notion that patagonia really you know really cares about the environment i don't really know if they do but they seem to and they you know it seems to be smart in the way they operate in, in in the book i mean i uh spent a lot of time with the ex he's now left Ben and jerry's but he was the ceo of Ben and jerry's um those two hippies from vermont i think you know changed a company like unilever from from the inside out and they did it by setting up, and I wish I wish we had a stronger foundation in our company. Um, but you know, Ben and Jerry said we we're just going to make great ice cream, and what we're going to do next to it is set up a really strong board that's going to protect the values that we have, the governance that we have, and the way that we're going to operate and how we support things and causes that we really care about. And when Unilever came to come purchase, you know, Ben and Jerry's, they um, had to take on this this infrastructure that Ben and Jerry had set up. Um, and it caused a lot of friction in Unilever, you know, they now had this irritating board from Amnesty that didn't want to allow them to do anything, you know, and was being a pain in the ass when they, they were trying to change the product and they wanted to use, uh, GM products. But now Unilever is trying to file to become a B Corporation and Nestle recently filed for B Corporation because of these two hippies in Vermont that changed a company the size of Unilever. I think it's really quite exciting. It's, It's a new era that I really think we're we're heading into, and I wish tech could follow a lot more of those online values and uh, offline values, sorry, and apply them to the online world. Um, But do you think the? I mean, do you think the line? um, uh, People talk a
1: lot about a new millennial generation who are more interested in values, who 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 vote with their wallets, um, who want to buy Ben and Jerry's for those reasons and actually that ultimately becomes a good business decision um do you see that as the future and that bar chart going like going like this for businesses you know you leave a fly filing to be a b corp or is it always going to remain niche I, mean, I suppose like how do you how do you see that market
0: opportunity that's my question <clears throat> I, th- I think it's i just think it's good business and the hard thing is that there aren't, you know, there are not many metrics around it. So, you know, in this data world that we're living in, everybody needs data to prove everything because you can only work out what you're going to do going forwards if you can look three years back. Someone's got to take a risk, and I think there are, there are less or there are more risk. You know, there are more people prepared to take a risk today than there the potentially were three or four years ago. Um, yet, it's very true that I think uh, you know the generation that we see in the workplace today, that's you know coming out of school and graduating, is very driven by values and very keen and very vocal about you know what their company does and what their company stands for and I only thing that's a good thing the hardest thing is that an institution that has been so built up around a quarterly return and you know returning a dividend on a quarterly level is going to be is going to find it very hard to suddenly go okay this is this is this is good business but we're going to give away 20% of you know the the profit that we make to do you know x And even in a company like Apple, which I think is one of the good guys, you know, Apple, I think, is really trying to, or Tim Cook is really trying to push privacy and data and making it, being conscious of how much screen time kids or anybody is really having and putting tools in place to allow you to be more conscious of how much time you you spend in front of a screen. The amount of cash that, you know, Apple is sitting on that they don't do anything with, I think is pretty disgusting. I mean, they, you know... I i probably bored people to death with this, but they could solve the world's water crisis just with the amount of cash that they have sitting on the bank right now. The issue, again, is that it's a public company and we all want to get a dividend. So we don't want them to really spend that money and save the world's water crisis. Or, you know, we would far rather take two grand dividend you know, this month so we can go on holiday. We, we, you know, we need to wake up and change some of these things ourselves. It's not just down to big tech to change it. Um, but what can we do? I
1: mean, to, well, two questions. One, you talk a lot about your book. I mean, we've talked about the We Transfer story, which is just, is, is, is totally fascinating. Um, but a lot of your book is about what's gone, what's gone wrong with the internet. So I'm going to ask you a very broad question, which is just, you know, how do we save, how do we save the internet?
0: Sir? So you can start what's your company doing uh we just write about tech so it's you know start breaking some big stories, get in there and you know throw a spotlight on some of these <laughs> some of these companies um so we have <laughs> <coughs> i'll say it again. God, <laughs> I said to him in the briefing, and he's like, we could do this panel discussion. I said, you know what, I'll have an argument. i want to have an argument with you about something. Um, (laughs) Okay, so So do you, (laughs) bastard. Um. No, I think it's... It's down down to... I mean, I do mean that. What are you going to do about it? Because I think... I hear it a lot, and I've heard it a lot this week, that people say, but my data is not that valuable. Who's going to be interested in what I say? Who's going to be interested in what's on my phone? And I think, well... Everybody is interested in that, right? I mean, the, there's this story of somebody who tried to put their, data, their Facebook data on eBay and they were offered up to a £1,000 for it. It's like, you know, your data is worth a lot of money to a lot of people. Be more conscious of where you, what you're doing with your data and, you know, and, and, and what you're doing. If you really want to change something, if you want to change the, like, this monopoly construction we have between Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, just go through your settings on your phone and, and just go, no, no, no. No, no, no. You can still use Facebook, but you don't have to give them everything for nothing in return. I think if we just if we started there, it would make a huge difference. And and in, and in companies, I think it's it would be so refreshing. and I'm pretty sure that everyone would agree that we'd far rather not give everything to Google and uh, and Facebook, um, but we sort of feel obliged that we have to. You know, let's get together and work out how we're going to, you know. Leave them alone and spend all our money on the New York Times and Sifted and the Guardian and everything else and make, you and, know, and, and and do something completely different. But we've just got to dare to do it. That's all it comes down to. And then we need a bit of regulation. Yeah, I mean, you spoke to a lot I of. Everyone int- gets bored at this point. It's like regulation, fuck, I'm out here. Yeah. No, no, but you, you spoke
1: to a lot of interesting people in this book. You know, you spoke to Jimmy Wales and the DuckDuckGo people and, you know, a lot of kind of big names with. With big, with, with, with big ideas about how to save the internet. I mean, what was your... Was, was it a consumer rebellion, uh, as you are saying? You know, like, let's just stop. Let's stop. Uh, let's change our settings. Slash as companies. I mean, we have sifted advertise on Facebook. Um, maybe we shouldn't, you know. Maybe we should be, uh, you know, part of the rebellion against this. Um, is that the answer, or is it, or is it more fundamental? I mean, you know, you spoke to military people. What was your, what was your conclusion from your uh, journalistic activities? Yeah, so, I, so,
0: I mean, I was a bit worked up at one point, and I thought, um, I thought when I went to, was going to go and reach out to these people, and, and then I interviewed uh, Gary Kasparov, and um, Robbie Stamp, and Stephen Fry, and Moby, and I mean, a whole, a whole load of people. And I was really expecting everyone to go, "Oh, I'm so angry at the internet." I don't know. Never wanted, I never want to touch it ever again. Nobody went, oh, actually, I actually love the internet. And Jimmy said, I love banner ads. I love being retargeted. I, I think it's really cool that someone knows exactly what I like and they're going to serve up you know, the next sneaker that I didn't even know that I wanted, but now I've bought it already. It is, it, is it? He, thought, he thought that was super cool. So I was, wow, okay, I wasn't expecting that. Um, so I walked away a little bit disappointed, but then thought, no, oh, shit, this is how it is. And we went to our users too and said, hey... Um, we, I mean, I, not everyone and some people in the company that agree with me, but uh, I was like, I think Facebook sucks. Let's, should we, should we pull off Facebook? And pretty much that same week, Elon Musk went, okay, that's out of it. That's it. I'm out of here, and I'm, not, I'm leaving Facebook and never touching it again. And our users basically came back and went, no, we, you know, our business are on Facebook, our friends are on Facebook, and um, you know, no, we, we don't want to leave it. So I had a bit of a, you know, a bit of a rethink because. Um, I'm not lobbying to destroy Facebook. I think um, destroying Facebook actually you know, would, would create one of the greatest boom towns that, and, and busts that we would have ever have seen. I mean, just the physical campus of Facebook employs so many thousand people, and there's so many businesses built up and around Facebook that it would be catastrophic. You know, uh, and I, I use this analogy a lot, that um, living in California you know, we only needed to travel an hour away and we could see the remnants of the last booms, you know, the oil industry, the, the the gold industry. And that that I don't want to create another, you know, situation where there's just desolation across Silicon Valley. I would just like it if it got tidied up a little bit and we were, you know, maybe dialing it down and maybe Facebook isn't making the, you know, 15 billion in every quarter, but three. I mean, still, shit, you can do a lot with that. Um... So the, the people that interviewed actually were super optimistic and said, no, it just we we you know we just think it needs to change a bit. And we want to get it back. If Tim Berners-Lee 25 years ago had this sort of hobbyist internet that was very safe and charming and you know really just very um, sort of cottage industry, it would be nicer if we could get a little bit more towards that than than where we are currently today, which is very much a monopoly. Yeah.
1: Um well, I don't know if we want to open it up for questions now, because I mean, I'd like to hear more about the 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 WeTransfer story or about the you know future of the internet. But uh, I don't know what the crowd is most most into, uh, so maybe we could take a couple of questions.
2: Hiya, um, I'm Louise. I just wanted to go back to your business model because you only touched on it briefly. How? Were you making money at the start when you didn't have the numbers for the advertising space? And also, how did you guys advertise so that people find out about you?
0: Well, so we didn't make any money in the beginning. Um, for we, how long? Well, I mean, we broke even in 2014. So for nearly four, well, it's four years, pretty much, we, we were sort of struggling and bouncing along. Um, we never spent a penny on advertising. So really pretty much up until 2015 the only thing we did was collaborate with artists you know we would put we would put a little bit of money against um, you know a project that we thought would be quite interesting and and, and sort of support them we sponsored centers of Martin so that's what we did do um, yeah we we were really just funding sort of work and then using the platform to tell the story and then hoping that people would people would come and find us and um, again you know 2009 2010 2011 you could you know, i'm such an old man but you but you could you know build a community on facebook without having to spend any money it's not the same today you know if you're asking how would you do it today yeah i don't know that we physically could because you have to go and buy that audience on facebook it's been you know completely uh, the, the the system is completely changed what i really do believe in though is that what we what we did very differently from a lot of other tech companies, we really invested in relationships. So every single artist that we featured, we knew. Every single, uh, you know, collaboration we were doing, we were going to go and meet them. I spent so many days in London, Paris, you know, wherever, going seeing artists and, and trying to get work from them. And then our sole mission was to crash their website. If we could deliver so much traffic to them, then you know we we basically fulfilled everything that we were trying to do. And. Um, uh, I, w- I still think it's a it's a you know it's a strategy that works because so few tech companies really do it. They're just so focused on performance and data um, that the whole human relationship side, the the human aspect, is it's gone. Impressive. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, Sarah Naylor, I wanted to ask you how you go about identifying an investor who shares the same values, who won't, in effect, have you over a barrel. So, at some point down the line.
0: Again, I think it's it's very, very, very human. You know, the so I'm I used to work in advertising. You know, and the the guy that I first interviewed with for my first job in London. Um, I was a bit of a dick, actually, if I think back, but his, his method was we had to take a cab ride basically from Covent Garden down to Wellington Street um, and then sort of around the Strand. And if you could tolerate being in a car with you for that length of time, it was going to work out. And I think it's quite... It's, I mean, it's, it's very intimidating at the time, but I think it's quite a good sort of strategy. If you can spend time with that individual and generally spend time with them, you're probably going to get on fine but so much of the meetings that you know that we did very early on were so transactional It's like Go on show me what you got okay and i'm going to show you what i got okay and then we're going to work out whether we can do something or not i don't i don't know how you can get into any relationship and it's a really intense relationship because it's going to get tough you know not everything is going to work out well and you need you really need to know what you know what people are going to be really like when the chips are down and i th- i think um, if you don't invest that time to get to know them and it's really hard i mean i say this like it's super easy you just um, but somehow you've got to find out, you know, who who these people are. I don't know how we're doing for time. So, no, no. Um, I I would well, say I'll bore you with another story. Then, no, no. Please go. Oh. <laughs> so we um, uh, we were looking for investment. We had turned a profit. We had suddenly loads of people interested in us. Prior to that, no one was interested in us. We were a super freaky business advertising that wasn't programmatic. You know, we didn't have a sign up. We were collecting no data. Um, Suddenly, this company from Boston was really interested. And they flew over everybody. Like, you know, the guy who founded Lycos. Uh, you know, this whole crew f- came over from everywhere. And we went out for dinner at this fancy restaurant in, uh, in Amsterdam. And, uh, you know, they were, they were throwing everything at us. We're going to go on helicopter rides and we're going to play golf and whatever. And, you know, we were sitting there having no money for a long time. Thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. And... Um, well, we didn't know them very well. They just came over basically and tried to, you know, get you excited by having a dinner and, you know, throwing all this amazing opportunity at us. Um, we walked away from there thinking, "Shit, this is it. This is going to be cool. We're going to have some money, and you know, we're going to be able to do something." I had arranged to go to Thailand on holiday like a week later, and I was sitting outside our office the following morning on the phone to the airline. Um, changing my flights to business class. Because <laughs> we were now set. And I walk in, having paid to fly business, and I walk into the office, and everybody's face is dead. Like somebody's died. And I said, down now you're going to tell me they, they're not going to do it. And they went, oh, they just called, they pulled out. Pulled the plug, that's it. Never heard from them ever again. But two people that were in that that, uh, that evening came back to us and they said, we're setting up another fund and we really believe in what you guys are doing if you're interested and in still talking to us, although we just basically treat it like complete shit, uh, we'd be really interested in investing and that's our investors today. Um, two people that I can easily take a taxi ride all the way around London with that I quite enjoy spending time with. Thank you. Um, that was a long answer.
1: And they gave you the full 25 million, did they? Mm-hmm. Um, and how's the relationship been with them since?
0: All right. They're really good. I mean, I've, they're really good. You know, again, the market's changed, right? So I think there's a lot, if you're if you're in a business like ours, we'd have, we'd have probably taken a different type of company, a tape, different type of investment today. In the book, I talk about a company called Amidia Network that was set up by Pierre Amidia from eBay. Um, they do a huge amount of purpose-based investment. I think it would have been really cool to have worked with someone like them. But, you know, um, Tony and Arena from Highland Capital... You know, really good, super supportive. They love what we do. I made a joke about us being the sort of angel of their fund, but we're we're very different from a lot of the other companies, and they have to market too. You know, they need companies that are sort of special um, in their portfolio that make them look interesting as well. They've been really good to us. Yeah.
2: Hi, uh, my name is Cassandra. I'm a jewellery and tech person. Um, just two quick ones Um, I'm really interested of the the psychology and the things that people don't really talk about like the hard stuff so number one you said it was really hard you know getting where you were so in those four years when you probably didn't make any money how did you mentally and your co-founders mentally get there and say I'm going to keep on going and the second one how much sleep did you get because I'm struggling so those those are the two things thank you
0: uh, do, you, do, you use, do you use one of these, app, these apps to track how much sleep you're getting?
2: I, I do. Okay,
0: don't. Stop that. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I do,
2: but then I just, yeah, anyway.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the killers. So I, at a certain point, we were also tracking everything. And then you look at it and go, oh, shit, I only got four hours last night. I feel tired. I, well, I don't think I had that before I knew that I only had four hours sleep. So I th- no, I think sorry, I, was, I
2: wasn't clear. I mean, like, as an entrepreneur, um, I know, I you need it. to squeeze a lot of things in. So, sorry, I didn't mean that. No, so, yeah. no, no.
0: <laughs> um, Holland is a country that actually has, on average, eight hours sleep a night. Um, it's one of the happiest places um, in the world. Um, so I'm quite lucky, I think, that we started the business in the Netherlands, which is really a village, I mean, sorry, Amsterdam is really a village compared to London. I loved being in London. I mean, I really enjoy being back here. It always gives me great energy, but I leave at the end of the week feeling exhausted because um, there's just too much stuff going on. You know, my senses are going crazy and I don't want to, you know, sort of miss out on something. Um, in, in Amsterdam, it's pretty boring, to be honest. So you find that um, work-life balance is really, really good. You know, no one in my team is working beyond 6 p.m. No one's working weekends really ever. Um, it's it's very much a focus on making sure that everyone is looking after themselves and, and being happy without having to fill the office with baristas and kombucha and, and, and stuff. You know. <laughs>
2: um,
0: you know, personally, mentally, like I've, I've I've always suffered a little bit. My mum, my mum's bipolar. We depression's a big thing in the family. So it, for me personally, there's been definitely highs, definite highs and lows. Um, you know, I think. Um, it's very what I've learned at least over the years, and we lived three years in LA. is so then everybody has a therapist. I think uh, you know, in, uh, a good therapist doesn't go amiss. Um, and making sure you've got some people that you can actually honestly, you know, talk to and share stuff that you're going through with. I think um, I don't come from a very close family, as in you know, we we are sort of close, but we don't really talk about the hard stuff. Um, but luckily, I have a couple of friends that I can really do that with. So I think you know, the support network of friends is super important.
2: Hi, I'm Kate. I just wanted to ask what you're most excited about for the business platform we transfer, we present in the next five to ten years.
0: We're, we're still a very small company, so it's just 175 people, you know, in, in, in the scale of things, it's pretty small. Um, we, we just bought a company called 53 last year that, that um, have a drawing app called Paper and a presentation tool called Paste, uh, I'm really excited about Paste. I think it's, you know, Keynote and PowerPoint have been around for years. We've been using them forever. And the way that, um, you know, again, I'm sort of trained to work is you go away and you write a Keynote, a Keynote, and then once it's ready and nearly finished, then you share it with the world and you share your finished work. And Paste is so intuitive and simple. You can just drop ideas and thoughts into it, and they're automatically, um, you know, shared with the team that you're working on. Um, it's quite a cool it's just a very different way of working. It's sort of waking me up to um how slow and siloed I think I was in the way that we operate, the way I operated. Um so I think that's really cool. I mean, there was a great question about, you know, if, if uh, Dropbox and everybody else disappeared, what would I what would I would I become to with being the only app? Um you know, I I really would like to be in a position where we could be one of the greatest patrons of the arts. You know, that we had so much media that we were giving away that we were really doing something of value. Um, last year, or, uh, sorry, earlier this year, we um, found an organization called RAP Medical Debt that buys up medical debt in Los Angeles or actually all over America um, for a penny on the dollar. So the way that medical debt is repackaged and resold and resold when it's sort of seen as bad debt uh, means that you can buy it for, a, for literally a penny on the dollar. An RIP medical debt um, working with us calculated that the debt in uh, in LA was thirty eight million dollars. For three hundred and eighty thousand dollars, we could pay off everybody's medical debt in the whole of LA County, um, and um, all I needed to do was make a couple of phone calls to Headspace and a few other people, and they were in, and we and you know we we could do it. It's pretty cool, I've got to say I was. You know, I think it's so simple, and medical debt is one of the biggest instigators of uh, bankruptcy, and then a big, a great instigator of homelessness in in California or in across America. And you know, a little company like us from from the Netherlands with limited funds and just a few friends could actually make a massive contribution to sixteen thousand people's lives in in LA. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, great. Hi, uh, I'm Lucas. So you definitely already touched upon this today, but you kind of mentioned compared to Patagonia that had really strong values kind of from the beginning. Um, if you started your company now, um, what would be the core thing in terms of like values um, that you'd focus on? The, being in tech, the the, uh, the, the mission I would want to have is to make sure that we were doing everything that we could to um, look after people's mental well-being. I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges of, our generation or society today is definitely mental health that i think you know big tech is playing a huge role in without you know becoming you know too too negative i think you know self harm suicide um rates have never been as high as they are today and i do really believe it's down in large part to you know, to the addiction that's being created by um by social media so i think you know, anybody really that's being that's in the media industry or in tech today should should have a really long good hard think about what they're going to do for for mental health i think that's going to be paramount thank you that's great um so can i say one last thing please yeah oh. um so i mean the the book has been quite a mission right it's been three years in writing and um and you know collaborating and interviewing and stuff and um all the proceeds from the book go to this organisation called United for Global Mental Health. Um, you know, I would love it if you buy a copy. I think there are some here today, and yeah,
1: you right over there.
0: Um, uh, you know, it, it'd be it'd be great. You don't even have to read it. If you just buy a copy, then at least uh, you know, you know you, your money is going somewhere good. Um, but uh, I just want to say thank you to um, Martina, who's here this evening. Who um, is from Penguin Books, and uh, I think took quite a big punt on me because I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm not a writer, and I've never really done this before. So, um, you know, it, it's um, a lot of it's testament to to Martinez. I just want to say thank you, put you on the spotlight for a second. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, let's all go buy a copy of the book
1: then. I can testament. I haven't been paid to say this, but I have read it in the last two days. It is excellent. Um, and let's fight the power of big tech. So, uh, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you.
0: breakthrough is creative workspace second homes year-round educational program designed to help members make their dent in the universe if you enjoyed this talk check out what else is coming up at secondhome.io or follow us at at secondhome underscore io second home a workspace as creative as you are